This is the Views from the Booth podcast, your reference guide into the world of sports broadcasting. Here's your hosts, J.J. Duke and Joe Vasile. And we are back, and boy, are we coming off of a busy week here on Views from the Booth. Thanks for joining us, J.J. and Joe here with you. And yeah, last week was our first two-show week, kind of a pulling our own weight a little bit as we get going with this. Uh, if you miss our regular show, Joe and I discuss um, how sports broadcasters often have to step out of their comfort zone a little bit, whether it's calling a new sport, how to identify those good risk-reward opportunities, need to relocate to make things work, covered all that in our show. And then we had our first Broadcaster Spotlight Series episode where we were joined by Adam Giardino, had a really intriguing chat about his journey into the business and how he started the Black Play-by-Play Broadcaster Grant and Scholarship Fund. Plus, if you want to hear a real-life experience of how to survive a two-day, 15-hour college fencing tournament, you'll want to catch that. So if you missed any of those shows, want to catch up on any of our other episodes, you can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. And Joe, I do have to ask you, we did discuss this, but we're going to hit on it one more time. If you had to put yourself into a 15-hour multi-day event, Let's take away the big three. What sport would you want to land yourself calling? Not fencing. I'll tell you that much. That, <laughs> that, that sounds uh, very typical. It, it would have to be something that I'm a little bit more comfortable with uh, that's a little slower paced, maybe, maybe tennis, just because there's a lot less talking during that. And it's not that it would be easy to do. And I've never done tennis before, but uh, I feel like I might enjoy uh, a 15 hour over two day marathon of, uh, you know, Wimbledon or the U S open or something. I feel that would be an interesting one. If we're going to go on that sort of trend and for any tennis fans out there, if you want to, you know, get it back at us, because I know there's a, you have to really be in that sport to talk knowledgeably about it. But um, if we're going to go down that line, I'd say probably golf would be great just because as kind of the lead host in the studio, you get to just play traffic cop and go to all the different spots. So personally, I'd want to be the one on the course following the players just because that banter would be amazing. Either that or maybe lacrosse just because it's just action over two days. But yeah, um, that would that'd be a real interesting experience. Uh, and maybe something that if you guys have had that chance before, let us know. Uh, hit us up on social media or find us, shoot us an email at viewsfromtheboothpod at gmail.com. We'll get to all of our handles later on. But today's episode, we are doing the money episode, which I totally feel like introing the annual CBS Sunday morning show, their money episode, but this is a little bit different. Now, Joe and I have talked about this before, and I think it's really important that we sound it off from the top. We treat this like a business. And even though, yes, you're not, I mean, maybe some people do have it labeled as the Joe Vasile Broadcasting Company or the JJ Duke Broadcasting Company. While freelancers may often not be with somebody you're representing yourself, if you treat what you do like a job, like a business, then people, I think, then take you very seriously. And Joe, we hit it with this to begin. How long did it take you to really understand that Yes, you're doing this because you love it, but at the same time, if you want to make a career out of it, you have to treat it as such that this is a job. Honestly, it took me probably longer than it should have. Um, And it's not that I didn't treat it as a job from the get-go, but in really seriously approaching it with kind of that business mindset was probably around 2016. Uh, That was when I really 
started to say like, okay, I, I need to branch out a little bit more, try and cobble multiple things together and act as my own salesman, as opposed to waiting back and, and waiting for opportunities to pop up. Uh, let me, you know, put some, uh, some cement under my shoes, so to speak, and, and go hit the pavement and try and find where those opportunities are and start to pick things up and sell myself. And, and a lot of that came from in 2015, I was doing a lot of sales uh, with the summer collegiate baseball team, the faithful Swamp dogs uh, that I was working for. And so I got a taste of that process of looking for leads and then cold calling and approaching people and saying, in that case, hey, buy tickets or buy advertising. And then I just took those same principles and applied it to, hey, buy my broadcasting services, essentially. Um, and really when I started to look at it from that mindset was when things really started to, to kind of shift and really elevate and take off to a point where I could, I could fairly comfortably do this as a career without having to have something on the side to supplement that income. For me, and it was interesting because, yeah, while it took a little while to get it going on the broadcasting side, a lot of the seeds where I learned in how to kind of be, well, I want to say the CEO of my own brand uh, was when I was in college. So when I was in student radio, uh, our every Sunday morning, our radio station kind of had like our educational block where you had a number of different shows um, featuring, you know, health. There is a pet vet, which was pretty cool because occasionally you might've got a surprise or two and a friend would come in. But um, this one show, I had this career development show um, and the gentleman that was in there by the name of Rod Cologne, his big motto was, you know, you have to be the CEO of your own company. And yeah, I took that to heart because you have to think about it. If you want to present your own brand and we go this to broadcasting, if you want to get yourself to a number of different clients, if you don't feel confident about what you're doing and if you don't have the resources and the recommendations behind you to back that up, then you're really going to be going nowhere at the end of the day. But if you network the way that you're supposed to do the job professionally, when you show up on the day, I know we've talked about this before, but it then just carries over and over and you're going to get more opportunities, but you have to control all the aspects of your own business and your own brand because then you know, all of a sudden you might be dealing with a lot of stuff we didn't think about. And that's what we're going to cover in the show, whether it is managing invoices, knocking on people's doors figuratively to make sure that you do get paid in an appropriate manner amongst a few other things. So this is going to be an episode that I think a lot of people will say, oh yeah, it's, it's another nuts and bolts one, but it is actually very important when you're getting started because these were some lessons as Joe and I were saying that you didn't really figure out until maybe two years in and you wish that maybe you had someone telling you right on the spot. Yeah. And I'll say also, this is from kind of a baseball side of things, but it could also work if you're looking to work in, um, you know, I know this happens a lot on the radio side of things. If you're going to work for a radio station, uh, not so much on the TV side of things, I feel like with, with TV reporting, but when you go, like, if there's a sales component to the job, like, don't let that shy away from it. Like, don't let that stop you from going after it. And maybe even kind of make that the focal point of what you want to go for. Because I was talking to a general manager of a, uh, of a short season minor league baseball team at the winter meetings this past year. And, you know, I, I had mentioned I was a broadcaster and then just kind of joked, like, 
I have a job. I'm not looking for one. Um, and he goes, you know, the thing is with you broadcasters is that you guys sell yourself so much. If you channeled that in other things, you could be really successful. And I think that that's an important thing to realize because the way you sell yourself to an employer or to a prospective client can very much translate to success on the actual advertising sales or the ticket sales side. So if there are those aspects of the job, you should go for it because one, it's going to be something that is going to then help you get better at selling yourself to employers and having that experience is going to be good uh, just generally, but also because the principles are all the same. I mean, the only thing that's different is the product that you're selling. So if you're passionate and you can sell yourself in one aspect, you can absolutely do it on the other and, and don't let maybe a, a lack of experience of doing that stop you from doing that because that is a job that you can be very successful in. So I think the sales bit is kind of the perfect lead into our first of two topics, which is kind of knowing the industry value of the broadcasting side and knowing your own personal value. And as Joe said, you know, expectations. And if you look at it in a number of categories, on the minor league sports side, not just baseball, but if you're doing minor league hockey, doing minor league basketball, lower level soccer, things like that, you're not often finding that a broadcaster is just going to be a broadcaster. It's going to very much be a broadcaster and sales or a broadcaster and community relations. You're going to be doing multiple jobs. Um, have that expectation going in. That was something that I learned very early on that it was like, okay, it's not kind of like in the big leagues or the top tier of every sport where you're just focusing on your thing. Um, and it was interesting when Adam Giardino was talking about how he started, it took him hit till his third stop in his minor league baseball career. I think it was the second or third year of his third stop to where he was basically not only just focusing on what he wanted to do, which was broadcasting, but making a figure that's in the four figures for a monthly salary, just on the broadcasting side alone. Now, again, this is minor league baseball where yes, it, it's a labor of love because it is kind of the concept that, you're doing this, it's a long road, you're making it family affordable, especially in the ticket side of things, and everybody kind of, yeah, it's a hard knocks life, but if you do stick around long enough, you're going to get there. But on the broadcasting side of things, it takes a while on that front because you're probably going to have to find another avenue to make the rest of the money so you can live. Otherwise, if you don't, then you're probably going to be having some issues for a long period of time. And I, for me, again, that took a while to really figure it out because you have your, your mind thought up of, yeah, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to have this professional attitude, but we all think of ourselves as we should be getting the money that we deserve because if we work hard enough, we should be at that level. Unfortunately, I hate to break it to everybody. It's always not that true because sometimes budgets or other things are going to come back. So, um, how for you, Joe, did you handle it? Because like I said, for me, that was a tough go for the first few years. Um, I handled it. I feel like the way that a lot of people handle it, I got as much help from my parents as I possibly could, um, which is obviously part of the problems overall that this industry has. It's like, if you don't have that safety net available to you, you're just not going to be able to unless you are incredibly lucky and incredibly fortunate to get a really good paying job right out of college, you're not really going to make the money to be able to make it without the ability to have that support. Um, so I've been very lucky 
to have that in my life. Um, so that was one way that I really dealt with it. And the other was just by, you know, taking as much work as I could possibly get. I, I worked for free a lot in college. And once I graduated, I don't work for free anymore. Um, you know, and that's, that's one of the things where people will say like, oh, you know, well, actually that's a lie, but um, <laughs> people will say like, you know, you, you need to work for free to get in, which is like, yes, uh, that's the way that it's structured. That needs to change. Um, but, you know, once you're out and doing it as a professional, you, you also have to realize that what you're doing provides a value. Um, and you shouldn't sell that short. Uh, and you have to, con and, and having kind of that, that CEO of your own business mindset, you'll understand this a little bit of, okay, how much you get paid or I get paid is a function of the value that you're providing. Um, if you are Joe Buck, you provide a lot of value to Fox. If you're Joe Vasile, you don't provide nearly as much value to the college soccer broadcast that you're doing that doesn't have any advertisements, that's only on a, a web stream where the audience isn't nearly as big. So there's going to be that pay scale difference. Um, you know, there, there's a happy medium somewhere in between those two, but you have to realize that you'll get paid more as you move into things where there are more advertising revenue. There is a larger audience for what you're doing. You start to see that, that kind of pay scale upwards. It's just not a lot of the introductory jobs are those lower end, not really making money, just doing it to fulfill some requirement by a conference or a streaming network that those opportunities are just not going to pay you as much. And, and that's just something you're, you have to accept. Um, you know, it would be great if they paid more and I'd love it if they did. Um, and they probably should, but until we get to that point, um, unfortunately that's the reality of things right now. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about side jobs, I mean, let's see outside of broadcasting, I've worked, side social media or doing communications for a number of teams or just entities that aren't even in sports. I worked three years at Major League Baseball Advanced Media. Basically, often enough, I would broadcast a game in the afternoon, take a train in to Chelsea, which is downtown in Manhattan, work the overnight, take the last train out of Grand Central, 1.47 a.m. in the morning. I'm not going to spare you all the details of those trains because it's, it's exactly what you'd think. But yeah, we all have to kind of figure out ways to make it work. And if you're talking about kind of hearing what we said, the minor league side of things, colleges are a little different because Joe mentioned about the advertising and the revenue streams. Schools nowadays, because of the fact that they have to show broadcasts for nearly every sport that they have or every sport that you can have some sort of internet access to to plug in a camera, let's make this work. You have a budget there. And that was something for me that it took a little while to realize, especially how Joe mentioned, yeah, you think your value is at X, but an entity would think your value is at, you know, Y, but that's going to be like $100 lower per game. But they do have that budget because it has to be there for them to survive and get their brand across. Now, the thing that's kind of interesting is a lot of those places, and I think um, Adam mentioned this in our chat with him last week about how, yeah, you could go to a Division II school and do a you know, lacrosse game 
and you're probably going to get a set fee of $50. Okay, that's not bad because that's what that school has to offer at that time. A lot of these places are very similar because they do have set fees. But as Joe mentioned, if you continue to put in the work and your value goes up and people respect what you do, there is that kind of opportunity to speak to those people and say, hey, I've been with you guys now for a couple of years. This is what I've done. You can even go in if you have the access to show some of the viewership that's there, or just the feedback that you've gotten. You can go to them and be like, these are the reasons that I believe that I should be paid maybe a little bit more per game. And again, building that professional relationship can help you in the long run because they're not just going to take you as some kid that just shows up and calls a game. You're someone that's invested and because of your investment, they see value in you. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, building that value is, is a big part of things. Um, a school that I work with just on the freelance side of things, because I have gone and I have done a good job where, you know, maybe they don't pay me as much as I would like for certain events that I do for them. They've thrown some other work at me outside of the sports room. Like I have hosted their athletics awards banquet um, while not being like the voice of their basketball team, like while being the guy that they call in to do some soccer and stuff like, you know, so not being like, the guy there that they asked me for that they asked me right now i'm working with their nursing department this one school to do uh, some things for their they're having a ceremony in august and later this week as we record this in the middle of july i'm gonna go and record a bunch of voiceovers for a ceremony that they're gonna have in august like so you build those relationships on the sports side and maybe they don't pay as much but those other gigs that maybe they'd be able to throw at you those are actually paying me a lot more than the games that they, that they pay me to broadcast. And they're just great opportunities that have come along because of that. Like they recognize the value that I bring and the way that I approach working for them. And I guess I feel like on a certain level, at least appreciate that maybe I don't make a stink about, well, I'd rather make a little more money over here, even though you guys are paying me a little less. Like there's that, that kind of balance. And then I also know, I can always call that SID up if I ever need a reference for someone and they're going to say, we love working with Joe. It, it, like it's all kind of that. I feel like there's just common threads through every single episode that we keep touching on. And that's one of them. Um, but yeah, knowing your value and, and demonstrating it. And, and again, trying to go above and beyond. So if you're getting paid a hundred dollars, try to provide $150 worth of value because eventually that's going to come back to you. Um, in one way or another, whether it's there or whether it's down the road. Um, always trying to build more value in for your client or your employer, depending on how your, uh, your contract to work is structured. Um, that's always going to help you out and always be a good thing. Those are definitely a lot of lessons that both of us have learned over time. And to add a couple more things to that before we get on to what's the we think the real important part of it is how to manage all this. In addition to what Joe said, and in addition as well, if I were to go back retrospectively and tell myself, hey, you know, when I was in college working a couple of jobs, maybe put away a few dollars from every paycheck just to help yourself down the road, because believe me, that first broadcasting internship really wiped out my, uh, my portfolio in the short run. Um, knowing how to have these conversations with your perspective or your current um, 
partners, or as we're going to call them, you're going to hear this a lot, our clients, because that's how we refer to them as if we're working with the school, they're our client, is how to have those conversations and kind of the right tone to take about it. Um, a couple of years ago, I was working for an, another school at the time and kind of getting myself in the door a little bit, not just you know, working Olympic sports a couple of times a season, but consistently having a schedule, a couple of basketball fill-ins, great. Um, another person started to come on just out of college, went to a good broadcasting school and was starting to get there, but never really had the conversation of how to talk about asking for what your fees and stuff like that or your game, your rate per game. And so they came to me and was like, so how have you gone about it in the past? And I said, well, you know, I've been fortunate enough now that I've been put on a schedule where, and if you ever get this, by the way, folks, take advantage of it. If you get paid weekly from somewhere, get paid weekly because that was the most amazing thing. I'm disappointed. It's not there anymore, but it is what it is. Um, so that's kind of how it worked out as opposed to getting a check every month for the total amount of games. I gave them kind of the perspective hours that it would have been for two games per week. It worked out, but that's that. So, but I told them they're the person I was like, okay, well, you know, other places, if it's, you know, an Olympic sport at this level, I'd ask for $60 a game. This is a few years ago, mind you, but you know, and if it's at a basketball game at a certain level, I ask for close to a hundred, one twenty-five, whatever. This person came to me and was like, oh, well, you know, I see myself getting $200 for a game and basically across all sports just because of you know, the kind of the pedigree that I've come from. I'm like, that's great. I love where your mentality, where your head's at, but it takes a while to get there. And I wouldn't bring that up right away because then it makes the potential client think of you as, okay, well, this person, all they're in it for is just a quick payday and they might look for somebody else. Thankfully, that person did not have that conversation. And, you know, fast forward to now is making the money that the person works hard for because they're a good broadcaster. But it's just having those conversations and it was, you know, great to have a chance to share my experience, maybe learn that earlier in my career would have helped. So those for me, and I don't know if you have any quick lessons to, to chip onto that one, but those are some of the things that I take from this kind of the conversation. Yeah, I think just to, to button up on that real quick, and this is going to be a sweeping generalization and it's not necessarily a bad thing either. There are two types of employers. There are employers that care about the quality of the broadcast. And there's ones that just care that there is a broadcast. And they're very different. And if you, you know, especially at the lower levels, it's going to be, let's just make sure there is one and you're not saying any four-letter words. And that's really what they care about. It's like, we need to meet this requirement. We need to do this. That's not going to be someone that you can really negotiate with on price because they're gonna be like, well, you wanna get paid that much? I can find a dozen people who are gonna be okay with making $75 or $60 or whatever it is. So you just gotta kinda of take it or leave it. But once you're at a place, or you know, if you do get to a place where they actually care about the quality of it, then you can have those kind of conversations where it is, okay, I feel like value is somewhere around here. And they're like, well, we appreciate your work. We know you do a good job. You know the best we can do is 150 or you know what? You're right. 200 is reasonable. Like whatever that is, like you got to kind of read what kind of situation you're in and what the employer necessarily thinks of this particular job that you're trying to negotiate for. Cause that's going to determine whether you're even able to negotiate on that basic rate level. 
definitely. Uh, all good stuff. And especially for those that are trying to figure out this business, these are the conversations that we wish we had five years ago, but we're having them now for you guys. And now this brings us to kind of the important bit. And I know for a lot of people who may not have gone to college thinking about finances, here's another tip for you. Take a business class. Even if it's just a basic standard, how to do taxes, how to manage invoices, stuff like that. This is the part of the show that's going to help you because boy, could have used that when I was going to school seven years ago, dating myself, not cool. But managing your money, as we said, again, this is a business that for a long period of time and for a lot of us is going to be a labor of love and one that's not going to bring a lot of money into your wallet every year. But Joe and I have had enough experience as freelancers. And as we mentioned about how kind of we manage our business because it is a business, how do we go about that side of this and how we, you know, end up making money and making sure that the money is paid to us because I've heard horror stories about how people have not managed it well or think that a handshake is only a handshake as opposed to what is actually going to happen. And, you know, phone calls don't get answered, emails all of a sudden get returned back to you. So managing your money. Now, big for me is every year I have to kind of lay out what I need to make per month, per year, in order to just survive alone. And as Joe has mentioned, getting help from parents. Fortunately, while I haven't had help to pay bills, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to live at home for as long as I did because it is a central location. So you have to know what you need in order to survive. Um, I think that's the big first off because we still have bills to pay. And then it's all about invoicing and tracking and this took a little while to get used to, and it still is kind of unfamiliar, but get used to worrying about W-9s, 1099s, having some sort of a system to make sure that you know when you've sent stuff out to people, when to knock on people's door and ask what's going on. These are important things. So we all kind of do this differently. Joe, I'll start with you. How do you manage these sorts of this schedule? Well, uh, first of all, I, I like the idea that you just brought up of like, at the beginning of the year thinking about, okay, what do I need to make per month or for this whole year to cover myself to live and then kind of building that, using that as your baseline. I don't really do that. Um, and that's, that's great because I, I like goal setting and I like kind of target setting. Um, but generally what I'll do is I will, I have a, a couple of different like spreadsheets essentially set up on, on my Google drive. They're just Google sheets um, where I track every single event that I work um, and I operate, I track everything on a July to June calendar to match up with the academic year. Obviously when it comes to taxes and money and things like that, I file like everybody else, January to December. Um, but for my tracking purposes, you know, I, I end of June uh, starts the new year, July 1st. Uh, so I track everything. I have, okay, one column is the date. One column is the event. Next one is the rate. Next one is how much was I paid for it. Um, and the reason I do that is so that way I've got formulas set up where I can see, all right, what percentage of money that I'm owed have I been paid? Like how close to paid in full am I? So I can see like, especially once it starts to get big, you get into the fall, you get into December, early January, and you've got a kind of a bigger list of events you know, you can see like, okay, how much money do I have dangling out there? And it's, it's really easy to see. Um, and then on the next page of the spreadsheet, 
I've got a little bit more analysis stuff. I, I, I like data visualization. I like being able to compare. So I have all my numbers from the previous year there. And I've got tracking set up where I've got it broken down by month, by quarter. Um, and then I do a lot of comparison for, okay, this time, you know, September of last year, how much did I make? September of this year, how much did I make? How much, you know, did that go up? Did that go down? Um, so I can kind of track um, how things are progressing. Am I getting into some of those more higher paying gigs? Like, uh, am I, you know, I, I set a certain target of, you know, I want to be like 10% growth in terms of how much I make from one year to the next. All right, so how close am I to hitting those targets? Is it a fact of, do I have to work more games? Do I have to find higher paying games? A little of both. Um, so that's really how I do it. Um, and I have that set up. And then I've got a couple other ones where it's just like, I could see multi-year going back to like 2017 of like 17, 18, 19, now into 20 of how things have progressed. And I could just get a, a further zoomed out view of everything as opposed to the more narrow view of, you know, a one year or a two year uh, comparison back and forth. So that's, that's really how I do it. And then it's, you know, making sure to stay on top of invoicing um, for the people that I have to invoice. Cause some people, they want you to send an invoice others. It's just, no, we know what you did. Just you're good. Um, you know, for some games, I have to check in on an app on my phone and I punch out uh, because that's the way that that university runs its payroll system. Um, so it's all, it's all different depending on it. So it's a lot of juggling and keeping track of who you need to invoice when you invoice them and just setting aside time. Usually for me, it's Monday afternoon. If I need to send invoices, I sit down on Monday afternoon and I send all my invoices out. And, uh, and then obviously I wait for the, for the money to come rolling back and desperately check the mailbox every day for that. I definitely liked a lot of that. I did find it interesting that you go July through June because I do actually go through January to December on a regular filing year. But again, it, a lot of this at the end of the day, remember, whether it's the money, whether it's anything else, it, it's whatever that suits you. I also find it interesting that you have an, a place that has an app to check in on something because that mm -hmm. you never see that happen. Now, um, a lot of the things I do similar, the uh, couple that I would add into that, especially um, if you, for those who don't have kind of like contract work or set sort of kind of schedule, when do you get paid? You're often going to get a lot of pay stubs. You're just going to get the physical check sent in the mail. So for me, my big one is uh, the filing system. So I do go, I keep all the pay stubs for school by school or team by team, company by company. And I utilize a word document, kind of the similar listing of the dates, et cetera, not really so much focused on the paying side of things because again, I could just go into the, you know, my pay stub little cabinet and see, okay, well on March, whatever, March, 2020, I made this versus March, 2019 made this not a problem. What I, what's big for me, especially in the invoice side of things is, and this is something that took a while for me to understand is know how each place works because you may have, as Joe mentioned, some companies that you're going to have to send out, on a month. I fell into a trap of how some people would be like, oh, okay, we know how much you did. I just, for me personally, don't feel comfortable with that because, you know, some company may say, oh, you've only worked 
five games this month. I'll actually have done seven. Here's a list. So I do like to send them everything detailed per month. Um, but the one that I've had to kind of rein in and discipline myself on a little bit is the follow-ups. And now I know for a lot of people, this is going to be a thing Well, it's like, well, shouldn't we be getting paid, you know, consistently, promptly, timely? Yes, you should. But you have to understand how every place works because for freelancers, you're kind of at the end of the line for a lot of stuff because you do have all your salaried employees. And often enough, if you're working at a college, you're also in the same pool as the advisors, the professors, the maintenance people. Everybody that gets all that, they get paid ahead of you because that's how it works for the most time or most of the time, I should say. So when you invoice someone, for me, I like to wait a month before I reach back out because, again, some places might have an every other week you know, uh, payout system or they might just process invoices once a month. So it may take some time. And, again, it's okay to ask the people ahead of time what's kind of your system and they – if they do have an honest answer, they give it to you. If not, then they send you to the bursar's office or whoever can take care of that for you. You don't want to start pestering people because then all of a sudden the money gets a little bit longer to go back to you because it's like, Oh, we've got this person that just continues, you know, to hassle me about this, even though it's been you know a month now there could be clerical er errors at times. So take that aside. But what I do is after a month, when I've sent an invoice, put that line in red, like whatever games were in that invoice. And then I put a little date says, you know, I reached out to SID of school so-and-so email just, Hey, you know, sent this in a month ago. I know you told me you processed it. Just want to check in and see how things are. Most of the time it's going to be processed your invoice, just waiting for the school to cut your check, mark that date of the reply. Then if something doesn't come back in another week, or two weeks, however you feel it's necessary. That's when you go back. And again, these are the conversations that can be challenging at times because you don't all of a sudden want to seem that you're the pest, you're, you're the squeaky wheel. But as Joe and I have talked about, this is your business. You have to kind of put, you know, ask them to be in our shoes and be like, well, you know, how would you feel if you were waiting on something and you got to pay off, you know, your student loans for the month and you've been you call a game in August and it's October 31st and you wonder what's going on. So I know those are difficult conversations are difficult for me still, even five, six years into this because you don't want to upset someone because it's not personal. It's just business. Yeah. I'm always very uncomfortable having those conversations. I just like it when things work out. I invoice them and two weeks later, the check comes. That's, that's what I prefer. Obviously everyone likes that. And honestly, I've been very fortunate that most of my employers over the last two years that I've really ramped up on the freelance side of things have been responsive to that. And I, I haven't had problems tracking down money over the last two years. There've been times where I have, but not over the last two years. But if there is a time where I do notice that, all right, it's taking a little while to get this paid or um, whatever, I'll always kind of reach out and say like, Hey, hate to be this guy, but was just going through some things, saw that I, the pay for this day and this day, I haven't received that in my records yet. And I just want to get everything squared away. Usually like I procrastinate that until like December where it's like, I just want to get it squared away before the new year. Or if it's a spring thing, like in June where it's like, I know your financial year's ending and kind of so is mine. So I just want to get that squared away before 
we move into next year and, and kind of just approach it like that. It's probably not the smartest thing to do because again, I, I do just delay because I, I tend to give a very long grace period of, well, you never know what's going on. It could have just slipped through the cracks. Like the pandemic, I've had to chase down a couple hundred dollars, but I also know it's because I did those games right before the pandemic hit and paying me for those games was not high on the list. So I know that it was just something that slipped through the cracks. Like, all right, things have settled down. Let me just touch base and be like, hey, you know, I still haven't gotten paid for these games in March. And I'm like, oh, yep, no problem. We'll, we'll get that out to you, you know, as soon as we can. So it, like, I, I don't have those problems. But like, yeah, trying to track down money is always the worst thing. And, you, and the thing is, you never know why the delay is happening. You know, especially when it comes to some, you know, smaller operations, which is, is fine. Like, that's one of the reasons why I tend to give a grace period is because like, all right, you know what? Paying me is not high on their priorities list. I was, it's high on my priority list, but you know, there's, there's probably a lot going on. They're not trying to screw me out of money. So we'll just, I'll, I'll let it do it. And then when, when the time feels right, a couple weeks down the road, a month, maybe even two, I'll say like, Hey, don't want to be this guy, but I just noticed this. I'm, it might have just slipped through the cracks. I just kind of approach it like a, from that, like, uh, kind of a, I hate to impose, but give me my money uh, kind of a standpoint. We, um, work, we work hard. We deserve it. Yes, you do. It's just, it, it takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. It's all, int- it's very important stuff. And now the other stuff that I kind of wanted to go on because we talk about kind of having that line and the line that we want to hit. And Joe and I were actually talking about this before we went on about how like you're tracking your other stuff, your other expenses within broadcasting, because guess what? It's not just calling the games. You have to do prep work, which means you have to get office supplies. You have to figure out your travel situation. It's stuff like that. So if we talk about hitting that line, make sure to keep at least an eye on this, something that I've had, I don't want to say spending issues because yes, I do have my collection of soccer jerseys and, baseball hats there which you know guess what money isn't made on trees so you got to spend something somewhere but if you do find yourself at the end of the year wondering well I've made this but why is my accounts only showing this and this is not so much of a broadcasting lesson this is kind of just a life lesson make sure you know what you're spending your money on because that for those who are out of college for those who are a few years out trying to pay off loans trying to manage a career make sure you know what's going into what, because all of a sudden, if you see, you know, I've, you know, gone out of maybe a few times that I shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, why is $300 less in my account? Well, there you go. So these are the things that personally, and it's not so much professionally, but personally, when you try to manage, and for me, it has come down to making sure that I hit every mark. Otherwise you have to figure out something to make it work. Those are things. And if, for those that need to maybe find other routes to supplement yourself, we talked about before about finding those jobs that maybe you could pick up on the side that you need, you know, an extra couple hundred dollars a month. I did Uber driving, you know, mm-hmm. additional work outside of that. It's not the worst thing in the world as long as you could find it all to make it work in your system. Yeah. And on that note, track your expenses. I mean, as an independent contractor, you are. I don't want to say entitled by the tax code, but you can, through the tax code, deduct all kinds of stuff. Um, If you 
stop to get a cup of coffee before you do a game. As you're on your way to do the game, you can deduct that off your taxes. You can deduct the mileage for wear and tear and gas for your car off your taxes. Any equipment purchases, any office supplies purchases. If you have the home office deduction is a little bit more of a complicated deduction to take. I don't do that. Um, but I do all these other things. If you stay in a hotel, like if you have like this crazy game that's far away and it's late at night and you don't want to drive back afterwards, stay a night in a hotel. You can deduct that stay off your taxes. Like it's not the end of the world for purchases. I just bought a, a new Sennheiser headset for a couple hundred dollars, but I know I can deduct that because it is a legitimate business expense. That's the thing. You, you have to make sure they're legitimate expenses and that they're for your independent contractor work and only for that. Like you can't just use it for your personal use and then claim it as a business. That's just not, that's illegal. That's fraud. Um, so as long as they're legitimate expenses and you have documentation to prove it, go ahead and deduct that because when you're an independent contractor, you're liable for what's called uh, self-employment tax. Because when you get a 1099, none of that money is withheld at the time. So you can get a surprise huge tax bill if you hit a certain threshold in terms of that income. So you need to make sure you're tracking those deductions, those expenses, because that'll bring your tax liability down and could reduce it to zero. I, I had a couple of years where I had so many deductions, I claimed a negative income for, <laughs> for uh, the business side of things. Um, luckily, my actual income has gone up to the point where <laughs> I, I don't have that anymore. But, um, you know, it, it's, you can wipe out all of your tax liability essentially through deduction. So make sure you stay on top of that because that's going to help you. Like when I go to the winter meetings, cost of the job fair is deductible cost of my plane tickets deductible, cost of all of my meals out there are deductible, except for alcohol, uh, cost of my hotel room is deductible. If I rent a car, that's deductible. Like all of these huge expenses, you can, you can claim as legitimate business expenses. So just stay on track with that and you can really help yourself financially as well. And talk to your accountant, talk to maybe a business lawyer do you need to incorporate? I, I think for me right now, and, and JJ, I don't want to speak for you. I don't feel the need to form a corporation right now for the business side of things, but maybe a couple of years down the road that changes. So it's just something to kind of keep in your mind as a possibility to maybe help you out on the financial side of things to make those taxes easier because it is so complicated for us with having so many different W-9s and W-2s coming in from all over the place when it comes time to get that all together to show to the IRS, um, you want to make things as favorable to you as you possibly can. Well, all I just learned is for the future, I'll be going to you and deferring to you on any sort of tax deduction because boy, you are well versed in that category, my friend. <laughs> I, it's all Google. It's all Google. It is all Google. But no, the, again, these are all key things and things that when we were going through that didn't really make sense to us at the time because we were learning how to do it on the fly while trying to broadcast and get as many gigs as possible. And for all you at home listening to this, and if it does sound kind of a little overbearing and it just a lot to go through because we really did hit a lot 
in this episode. Let us know. We're happy to kind of go back and break things down for you because like I said at the, at the beginning of this episode, you truly are the CEO of your own broadcasting brand and how you portray yourself is what you're going to get out of this. And ultimately you do manage a lot, but at the same time you can reap the benefits if you do it the right way. Absolutely. I, I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah. You are, like you said, the CEO of your own company. You're the CEO of JJ Duke. I'm the CEO of Joe Vasile. And we're just trying to do the same thing. And that's sell our product at the highest possible price. Definitely. I think this is a good place to end this show today, but Joe, enjoyed this conversation again this is something it really goes along the lines of what we wanted to get out of this podcast is you know giving these lessons for people that may like us when we were starting didn't know really much about and now all of a sudden that we've been doing this six seven years we have that experience can share it and hopefully for you listening at home it can help you out and make sure to uh, reach out to us you can do so a number of different ways Give us a shout out on Twitter at the VFTB underscore pod on Instagram at views from the booth underscore pod, Facebook views from the booth podcast. And like I said, our email views from the booth pod at gmail.com. Joe is on social at Joe Vasile PBP and Instagram at Joe Vasile. I'm at JJ Duke 21 on Twitter and Instagram at JJ Duke. 21. And if you missed any of our previous shows or in our first uh, broadcaster spotlight show, which is a great one with Adam Giardino. Make sure to check us out everywhere where you get your podcast. Joe, great stuff and looking forward to our next, next chat. Absolutely. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Like I, I love the business side of this. So, and I feel like it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot on just the broadcasting circles um, of how do you manage your business to, to be the best that it can be. And if there is a way that I could put Shane McMahon's entrance, here comes the money, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. That's where I'd end it. But I can't. So just envision that in your head as we head out. But thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to this episode of Views from the Booth podcast. See you all next time. <laughs>